Well, it's nice to see you all here. Welcome. So the theme of um, this weekend really, I guess, is about for such a time as this, but is also in, in respect to prayer as well, which is quite important. So just give you a little um, brief of what's... It's all right, Zach. Zach, it's honestly, it's fine. It's good. It's all good. I'll just keep out of the way. There you go. So look, you've got... Seven, uh, so you've got the main meeting, then after, after I've shut up, you've got 11 o'clock, you've got tea and coffee. Then at 11.30, we're going to have like a, a prophecy breakout session. So basically what we do, get into small groups and then, uh, then we're going to prophesy over each other. Okay, which is actually very encouraging. Then, then we'll take a break for lunch and then at 2 to 3, we're doing a, a Lectio Divina session. Um, does anyone know what Lectio Divina is? Yeah, a few of you do. So for those that don't, you'll find out. And, uh, and so we'll do that for an hour, and then after that, then it's uh, craft time and things. Um, you're doing, what, you th what are you doing? I'm taking the kids during the lectio. That's it, muddy play, is it? Oh, during the lectio you're doing. Yeah, muddy church during the lectio is time, so all the kids can go over to the farm end of the field and do some, uh, some fun stuff with uh, clay and things like that. Um, and then uh, for those that have paid, there's a, I think you all have, um, there's a, a tea that's being served here later. And, 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 then, and then we've got the evening meeting. So we've got plenty to do today, but also some time to rest and chat and get to know one another as well. So uh, today I want to talk about pray, pray, and pray some more. Amen? You can adjust it if you want. It's a little bit, yeah. Just don't turn me down, because people at the back, they can't hear me, you see. Um, now, I have to confess something to you all, okay? Uh, I, I am... As you know, I'm a pastor and I've planted churches and stuff, but I, I've made a lot of mistakes, okay? I openly admit that I've made a lot of mistakes. And I think one of the biggest mistakes <laughs> I made was the model of church that I was, I was presenting and that I was planting. So, as I said last night, in 2018, God gave me this prophetic word uh, about Brexit, about Theresa May, and how she would be stood down and stuff, and how Brexit would take place. And then... The rest of this prophecy, it was like a whole 45 minute thing. And then the rest of this sermon was about things like God wants to reintroduce monastic communities to this nation. And I was prophesying about things that I didn't understand what I was talking about, way beyond my point of revelation. And I was, God, I was saying, God, I don't know what this is, but you know, just keep it going, keep it going. And houses of prayer and then how this country would be brought back, uh, would be rebuilt on the, on the backs of the people of prayer of this nation. And then since that time, uh, God's really taken me on a, on a whirlwind tour uh, in ways that I can't describe and it's completely changed me. I'm not the man that I was five years ago. I'm a very different man. I'm a very different man theologically in my understanding of church, my understanding of, of what Christianity is really about and also the deep history that Christianity has. And I, I think in our modern day Christendom, we're very much into let's deconstruct church and let's, let's chuck everything out because that's all old and anything's old is religious and a waste of space and a waste of time. But have you ever had some old stuff in your house which you got rid of and then thought, I really wish I hadn't got rid of that because I really wish I'd kept it. And, and that's what I've learned. There's things that I've got rid of in my, in my own walk with God that I realized that actually was really integral and really important. And I didn't realize that it was integral and I didn't realize it was important because it came under the bracket of religious tradition, okay? And so what I wanna talk about now is about praying and about prayer. Now, everybody in this room, I'm sure you've all heard a thousand and one sermons on prayer, you all know about prayer, etc. But I think we're in a time um, that the church really needs to come back to what it's really all about. 
you know, we, we have, and I've been guilty of this, we've planted missional-based churches, and that's fine, because the church is supposed to be missional in its secondary purpose, but we haven't focused on the primary focus of the church, and the primary focus of the church is that we are called to be a priesthood, and that we're called to be a house of prayer. Uh, it says in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And there is not enough emphasis, there's not enough teaching on the priesthood of believers. It's just not something we really talk about. Everybody knows that they're a priest of some description, yeah, because the Bible tells me so. But what does that actually mean? What, how do we actually live our lives understanding that we are priests? And so this is something that I feel God's been showing me over the last, uh, well, last few years, really, just completely changing everything. And uh, for those that I offended many years ago about this sort of stuff, I, do, I am humbly sorry, and you were right and I was wrong. It's on tape. You can replay that as many times as you like. You just put it on infinite loop. I was right. You were right. I was wrong. You were right. I was wrong. Amen. Then there's an, another scripture, Isaiah 56, 7, which is really important. It says, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples or all the nations or all the Gentiles. Amen. So, and Jesus said, you know, there's, they've got, they've got these guys and they're, they're doing the money changing and stuff in the, in the temple outer courtyard, which is where they were doing it in the courtyard of the Gentiles. So, so what was going on there is that the Gentiles couldn't really worship God because all the noise and the clutter and God was being robbed of worship from the Gentiles and the Gentiles were being worshipped, robbing, uh, worshipped by not being able to worship God. So yeah, the Gentiles were being robbed because they couldn't worship God. And so Jesus kind of, I guess, lost his temper a little bit and cast all of those people out of that area. And he said, you know, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because, you know, we like to play games with, well, that's Old Testament and this is New Testament, don't we? We like to throw that one out there. So like, well, I don't tithe anymore because tithing's Old Testament. That's under the law. And it's like, well, so was worshiping God was under the law. You're going to not do that. So was praying under the law. Do we not do that? All right. Um, so, so Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I love this is because it's both individually and corporately. We are living stones that come together to form the temple of the living God. And God's house shall be called a house of prayer. And we as individual temples of the Holy Spirit as well should also be houses of prayer. And so that's exactly genuinely what, what we're not or I have not been pushing as a pastor for years and years. It's been, you know, we need to get out there. We need to get people saved. And yes, we do. I'm not changing that fact that we do have a great commission. But unfortunately, there's a great omission, which is that we are priests and we're supposed to be coming into, first of all, into the Holy of Holies. And from that place of ministering to God, then we can come out of that place and then minister to man. But we're so obsessed with ministering to man and we're so obsessed with getting on a platform and what's my ministry and can I have a name and can I have some glory, please, without realising that actually everybody's calling in all of Christendom is first and foremost to be on our knees and to be a priest before our God. Amen. 
and I, and that's another thing. It's you know, I, and I was guilty of this. You know, when I was younger. I mean, how many of us were, went? And there's nothing wrong with this in in itself. Uh, you know, going around like, oh, I really want to know what my ministry is. Please, Jesus, uh, no, no, give, give me a prophecy. Give me a prophecy. Tell me what my ministry is. Tell me what my ministry is, etc. And yet the Bible's been telling you what your ministry is for years and years and years and years. And you are a priest. And if I knew that I was a priest so many years ago, it would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of frustration and a lot of running around and probably would have I would have been a nicer guy back in back in my younger days because I was I was one of those troublemakers in church you know because I was just I was just like a, a wild ass that just didn't know what to do with myself and I just needed someone to break me in or someone but something but I, I just didn't know and I was so enthusiastic but I had no knowledge of where to put this enthusiasm and if only someone had said Chris you are a priest this is your primary ministry before God focus on this above all things and then all the secondary stuff will come into place, you know, secondary stuff as in, you know, what it is that God may have called you in, in a sense of uh, commissioned you to do with the rest of your life as well. Now, it says in John chapter 4, verse 23, it says, the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such as these who worship him. God is spirit and it is necessary for those who worship him to worship in spirit and truth. Now, we're all, I imagine most of you here are charismatic. Some of you here may be Pentecostal, okay? So when you hear a scripture like that, okay, you immediately default to the, okay, uh, praying in the spirit, you know, worshiping God in spirit, worshiping God in truth. So we know what truth is, that's just using words and stuff. And it's spirit stuff is like Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and all that kind of thing, okay? And, and there is a truth to that, but actually that really isn't what it means. There's a deeper meaning here. And again, this is kind of lost, which shouldn't be, but it is a bit lost on charismatics. It's almost we put this big like dividing pole right down like this is truth and this is spirit. I like doing spirit. I'm not into that truth. Well, I don't mind the truth, but you know, I'd rather be over here because it's more fun. That's not what he's saying at all. We should worship God in spirit and in truth. The two go together. In fact, the two are one. And that means sometimes that when you're doing spiritual stuff, it seems very natural. I'll say that again. Sometimes when you're doing spiritual stuff, it seems incredibly natural. And that's where we miss it sometimes. We think, well, I'm not going to do that because that's not very spiritual. That's not Holy Ghost empowered, but it is intensely spiritual. And I'll come back to that in a minute with some examples of what that means. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 46, it says first the natural and then the spiritual. You know, there's principles in there that Paul is alluding to. But as you see things in the natural world, it reveals things to us in the spiritual realm as well. Paul says in Romans 1 that natural creation, as beautiful it is, as it is, it's revealing visibly the invisible attributes of God. Or it's revealing vis the, visible, the invisible attributes of God visibly for us to see, to comprehend the living God. Amen. So first the natural and then the spiritual. And in Romans 7.14 says that the law, the Torah, and I don't really want to go down that road, but I'm just wanting to point this out. It says that the Torah is, is good and it's spiritual. You think, well, hang on a minute. Isn't the law just about don't touch this, don't, you know, make sure you do this, don't eat this. All that seems like externals. But yes, but sometimes external things or seemingly external actually have deep spiritual significance or come from a place of deep spiritual significance. And I think, I don't know where we get it from, but we love to divide the spirit from, from the natural 
And I think that's something that we've done to our own harm to the point where we don't realize that a lot of things that we're doing are intensely spiritual, but because it doesn't feel spiritual, we don't think it is spiritual. I want to tell you a story about fish, all right? Now, I don't know when this happened, but this is a true story. It's, uh, a guy from my old church told me. And he said, back in the 70s, there was this particular town um, in Britain somewhere, and he said, they never ate, had ever eaten in all their lives fresh fish. They'd only had fish that took like a long time to get to them because this was in the 70s, you know. And, uh, and so I think it was like four or five days old before they got it. Now, many years ago, one of my many jobs, I used to be a, a fishmonger, right? Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, really? Yeah, really, right? And, uh, and here's a fact, that if the fish is fresh, it doesn't actually smell fishy. All right, it shouldn't actually smell a fish. If it smells fishy, then it's already kind of, it's not on the turn, but it's kind of going that way, okay? So these guys, they suddenly had this fresh fish. They actually airlifted it into this town because they'd never eaten fresh fish. So some politicians said, hey, let's, I feel sorry for these guys. Let's get them some fresh fish in. So they brought some in. They actually airlifted it in, brought it into the town, and everyone was so excited. Like, what must this taste like? This must be amazing. And so they go, and some people look at me like, where's he going with this? Anyway, so just bear with me. Right, so in comes this fish and they cook it the way they normally do. And you know what everybody said? This isn't fish. This doesn't taste like fish. It doesn't even smell like fish. It doesn't taste like fish. But the reality was, it is fish. And it tastes good. They've just never had it so fresh. And it's the same with prayer. Sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to do that kind of praying because that doesn't seem like prayer. And it's like, it is prayer. It's just fresh prayer. It's just not seven days smelly prayer. Amen. So sometimes what we think is spiritual, what we think is physical, actually the two things can be the same. But it's just because how you perceive it or how you've tasted it will determine your reality sometimes. And I think sometimes things like that are quite important to know. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, all scripture is, you know, how it's God breathed and useful for teaching and edification, etc." Well, the, law, the, the, the teachings of Scripture are intensely spiritual, right? But when it says, you know, use your body as weapons or instruments of righteousness, in other words, don't do that, do this. That's a very natural thing to do. I avoid doing that thing like lots of other people don't, and I, I try to do this. And you might think that's just very boring and normal, but it is not normal. It's supernatural and it's spiritual, okay? Hopefully you're beginning to get my point now, is that normal things can be intensely spiritual. Hallelujah. And Romans 8, 6 teaches us that if we walk in the things of the Spirit, it's life and peace. But walking in the things of the Spirit doesn't mean walking around speaking in tongues all day long. If you want to do that, that's fine. That is spiritual living, but there's so much more to it than that. Amen? Hallelujah. So... Prayer. The Bible talks about prayer being a spiritual sacrifice. Now, I'm sure many of you have been, uh, some of you listened to the uh, series I'm doing called The Blueprint of the End Time Church. And I've been emphasizing the priesthood of believers and with that, understanding some of those spiritual sacrifices. And one of those spiritual sacrifices is prayer. But again, because of modern day Christianity, we don't really understand our role as priests. When someone says, oh, you know, let's have a sacrifice of praise. We often <laughs> we often think it's like, I just don't want to praise. It's so hard. And so just for me to praise God, it's a real sacrifice right now. That's, well, I mean, it can be that, but that's not what the author of Hebrews or, or the other authors are talking about. He's saying, you're priests. So instead of getting an animal and slitting its throat and blood gushing everywhere, in place of that, because you don't need to do that anymore, 
praise and worship and prayer is a form of valid spiritual worship and is a sacrifice to God. So as priests, you don't have to slay animals. As priests now, we can praise and worship and we can offer up prayers, living our lives as weapons or instruments of righteousness. Those are things which are pleasing sacrifices for God. Those are the things that delight the Lord. And so I want to talk a little bit about now about prayer. And so if I want to start with, it says in Ephesians 6, 18, to pray with all manner of prayers. Okay, now my wife has done a list of all manner of prayers and I think hers comes to 29. I think mine comes to 15. But that, that reminds me of this book. It was called uh, What a Woman Wants and What a Man Wants. Okay, and the, you, you spun the book round like that. So the title there was What a Woman Wants. You turned it round the other way, What a Man Wants. Okay, and I thought, I wonder if it's exactly 50-50, right? <laughs> What a, what a man wants was about that much of the book. What a woman wants was about that much of the book. So again, you know, my wife, she had 28 things of prayer and I had 15. Okay, so here's some, here's some kinds of prayer for you. The prayer of petition. So when we petition God, the prayer of faith, amen? I'm sure you're all used to that. Uh, I remember years ago uh, that, uh, that I wanted to marry my wife and uh, things weren't easy at that time because uh, I was coming out of uh, kind of a Bible college course and I had no prospects. I had no job, nothing going for me at all. And I'm sure that her father wasn't particularly enamored by my lack of prospects. And so I remember praying saying, Lord, you know, can you just, can you just please just help me out? And I remember this day I was reading the passage in Mark 14, I think it is. And it says, you know, whatever you ask for in prayer, believing that you receive it, you shall have it. And it was just like it got dumped into my gut and I knew immediately that if I prayed certain things right here right now that it was going to surely come to pass and everything I prayed that day did because it came by revelation so that's the prayer of faith it's an exciting thing to do hallelujah then there's the prayer of supplication where we're we're, we're pleading on behalf we're pleading on behalf of things either for ourselves or for others well that's more intercession um, then the prayer of consecration a prayer of intercession the prayer of forgiveness that's quite an important one. The prayer of thanksgiving. I, mean, I need to stop on that, the prayer of forgiveness. Because I don't think we really, under, uh, really value sometimes how powerful forgiveness can be. Um, and I've said this to the guys at Fairham, but we, we had a, a, a call to have do some ministry on this lady. And she had a problem with her legs. She had a flesh-eating disorder or something in one leg and then it was spreading over to the other. She was pretty much incapacitated. She couldn't walk. She couldn't do anything. And we were asked to go around there to pray for her. Now, she's not a believer. So the kind of ministry that we normally do is like, well, how's this, how's this going to work? Um, you know, and, and so we went through these questions and asked all these questions. And then she just said something. And she said, oh, yeah, and on this particular time, my sister did this, which was, as far as I was concerned, an unforgivable sin. And I was like, well, okay. I said, and when did you get ill? A week later. And I said, okay. I said, what you need to do, I said, you need to forgive your sister. And she, you know, mm, I don't know. you know, I mean, you know, it's hard enough to get a Christian to forgive someone. No, no, unbeliever, right? And so she wasn't particularly buying it. But I had to explain to her, look, if you forgive them, it's not that it so much lets them off the hook. It lets you off the hook because what you are, what you are bound with, you have to forgive her so that it will actually release you. And I was amazed. She actually said, OK, then. Uh, I'll, I'll forgive and she started that process and as she began that process we then got a phone call or a text rather a few weeks later saying that one leg has been completely healed and the other leg is now healing up nicely and she's back walking about just 
through forgiveness. Okay? Now, I put that out to you because I think there's a lot of Christians, and I'm not saying this in a, in a derogatory way or try to make you feel bad, but sometimes we do need to let go. Sometimes we do need to hang up our hang-ups. And sometimes we do need to forgive people and just move on. Because the reality is, is if you don't forgive them, it's you that's not moving on. And, and you will just be stuck in a place. I've met Christians that have been stuck in a place for most of their lives. I've met Christians that are in their 90s and they're still stuck at a place they, they, where something happened to them in their 40s. And they spent most of their life stuck. Yeah, Don't be stuck. God wants God, Jesus has come that you might have freedom and life and life in abundance. But if you want that abundant life, we have to walk in the things of Scripture. Amen? So anyway, so what have we got here? Then we got uh, the prayer of thanksgiving, you know, being thankful at all times. Then praying in the spirit uh, and, and all that that engenders, you know, praying in tongues. There's lots of other stuff in that as well. And then here's another one. I just want to stop on this for a few minutes. And again, I know a few people have heard this bit before. Praying of Psalms and liturgy. OK. <laughs> now, for those listening to this on the podcast, I'm in a room full of charismatics and they're all starting to look a bit tetchy now. As I mentioned that word liturgy and they'll get a bit nervous. Right. You're sitting comfortably. So in 2018, when God said to me, you know, he started talking about you need to go back to the ancient paths, respect in reference to Britain. Um, and he took me on this merry dance and, and just taught me all of these ancient traditions. Now, my, when I first got saved, I, I was an Anglican. Okay, I got baptized as an Anglican, confirmed as an Anglican. Right? I got the T-shirt and everything. And uh, I actually enjoyed being an Anglican. And uh, eventually things started to change in that church. And, uh, and then I had an invitation with some of my friends to go to this uh, kind of charismatic church. And I kind of moved into that. And that was good for the next phase of my life. And I've been going round the mountain, so to speak. And then in 2018, when God gave me that prophetic word about, you know, returning to the monastic ways and all this kind of stuff, it kind of brought me full circle. Because when I was 18, uh, I was quite a tempestuous young man. Probably you, you probably don't get that. And, uh, and, and I, I, I lost my temper or something and I, and I left my job, which was a fishmonger, I think. That's right. Yeah, it was a bit of a stinky job anyway. So I left it and I came back to my landlady. And uh, she's like, are you all right? I said, yeah, I've, I've left my job. And she said, well, you can go straight down the job centre and go and get yourself another job. I was like, all right, OK. So I went down the job centre and I looked at all the things that I couldn't do. And then there was this one job which was cleaner. I was like, yeah, I can just about cope with that. And, uh, and, it, and it said Park Place. I was like, OK, I don't know where that is, but I knew it was in Wickham somewhere. So I went for the job interview and it was at a convent, which is just literally over there, about a five-minute walk. Beautiful place. And... Uh, and, and I got the job and I had the, and they were really mischievous little nuns. They would do all sorts of things. Like, they would deliberately do things to catch me out. So that, you know, if I'd be cleaning and stuff, they'd put Coke cans, line them up in special places to, to see if I would notice. And I would like do all this cleaning. I gave it my best shot and I worked hard. I mean, I'm only a man, right? There's only so much a man can do when it comes to cleaning. And I did, I did my best. And these nuns would just come in and go, oh, but Chris, Look at this, look at this. There are these Coke cans, and it's quite clearly they put them there because they weren't there two minutes ago. All right? They used to play tricks on me all the time. They were lovely, lovely ladies. But they, they taught me, and I got to, I got to hang around with them and, and rub shoulders with them. And you know, most people don't ever, see, don't ever see a nun, right? You just don't see them. But I got to spend hours and hours every day for about eight months with them. And they were just such wonderful women. And it, and it was lovely to see faith 
in action and actually see people that their lives was just devoted to one thing and that was Jesus. They were devoted to him. Because you see, nuns, what they do is they go through this ceremony when they become ordained into a nun, becoming a nun, if you like. They, they literally, as far as they're concerned, they're married to Jesus. And so they live out their lives as these handmaidens just loving on Jesus. And they spend their life in prayer and service to him and, and just seeing how they were with one another. I mean, you know, there was a couple of curt nuns, but you always get them. And, uh, but, but generally, they were really, really wonderful women. And one of the things that they really impacted me with was prayer. And they taught me about contemplative prayer. And so, and they taught me things there that I had never experienced before. I had never experienced the depth of prayer that I had there. And then since I've been a charismatic for the last, I don't know, however long, I'm 52 now, so that was what, 51 now, and that was when I was 18. I have never experienced prayer that deep that they taught me and I experienced in that place. And, and I, kind of, I kind of left that place after eight months and I just got on with my life. And somehow in 2018, God brought me back full circle to kind of where I began and introduced me to, to this. <laughs> All right, easy now, don't look nervous. Liturgy. Now the word liturgy means service. So when you're praying liturgy, you're actually doing a service to God and a service to the things around you. Now, what's special about liturgy? Because I, I can immediately see that some of you are like, you're turned off, like, whoa, I'm not interested in this, right? I, I've been doing this now for several years, and this is my example of that it doesn't seem spiritual. How can praying liturgy be even remotely spiritual? Well, the same way as fresh fish doesn't taste like the fish that's five days old. It's still fish, okay? And I've been doing this now for years, and it's, and it's impacted my life so much. Now, I'm not trying to get you all to pray the common book of prayer or anything. I'm not telling you what to do. But I'm saying there's a whole plethora of ways to pray out there, and there's things that you and I could just easily do every day of our lives that could enable us to walk more and more closer to God. So, for example, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, does it not? Now, that's hard, right? Have you ever tried praying without ceasing? Yeah, you, you have to go to sleep and stuff like that. So it's hard, and apart from the super spiritual ones that speak in tongues all night when they're asleep. I know there's a few people that do do that, which annoys me. Um, so praise God for them. But, but when Paul wrote that, pray without ceasing, he's not talking to us as individuals. He's talking to us as the church. Of course, you possibly can't pray to God 24-7 all day long. It's not possible for one individual to do that. But it is possible when the body of Christ does it and we live in different time zones so when the church comes together and they pray pray liturgy and I was going to the history of that in a minute they are praying throughout the day obviously they're praying at the key hours of 6 uh, 9 12 and 3 and on and round and round it goes and these are the cardinal hours which the church prays that means wherever you are on planet earth whatever time zone you are in the church is always praying but here's another thing now this is one thing that we do not do as charismatics we don't pray with the church we pray as the church we pray in the church but we don't pray with the church and what do i mean by that we're not praying prayers that we know hundreds of thousands of other christians are praying at the same time or on the same day can you see the power that comes when there's an agreement in the body of Christ, when you've got hundreds of thousands and millions of Christians that are praying the same prayers and they're going up to heaven every single day. 
Do you not think that has power? Now, I know, so I don't think you're convinced, but there is power in that because there is unity and there is unison. And, as, and, and where there is unity, God commands the blessing. And this is a whole aspect of Christianity that charismatic evangelicals do not have a connection to. And I think that's one of the things that's missing. One of the things that God said to me prophetically is he wants to blend the ancient with the modern. Now, I've been exposed to some wonderful things. So IHOP, uh, you know, in America, we've got two IHOP guys here, uh, Carol and uh, Mike, give us a wave. Those guys have been running an IHOP in the New Forest, uh, NF Hop, that's right, isn't it? New Forest Hop, House of Prayer. And uh, those guys are like the grandparents of the House of Prayer movement in this country. So I honor them and I respect them. And I feel sorry for them as well because they had to tell me all this stuff years ago and now I'm preaching it like, hey, look what I've just received. Um, and I <laughs> yeah, so, so there's the House of Prayer and of all those modern movements and they're really powerful and they're based on the book of Revelation. It's trying to imitate and emulate what's actually already going on in heaven right now. But then there's other things, the ancient ways as well, which has been done in this land. And I think God wants to bring the connection of the ancient paths of this land back again, where the church starts learning to pray irrespective of your denomination. Because the things with these books, so this book here, this is called Divine Worship. This is a book which both Catholics and Anglicans use. Okay, they both use it. They're praying the same words. They're praying the same prayers. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with the Anglicans or you agree with the Catholics or not. When you're praying the same prayers and you're praying them in one accord, that is unity. You don't have to agree with each other on everything. But if you're praying the same prayers and you're praying it in unison and you're praying it in unity and harmony, then that is unity. Jesus said in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, Oh God, I'm sure, I'm sure now it would be like, Oh God, oh God, please I pray that you make the church one even as we are one. Hallelujah. I'm going to talk about that on Sunday about how that we need to be as one church in these days ahead as well. Now, why is liturgy important and why am I emphasizing it? Because there's this thing called praying the hours. And again, a lot of people don't realize this. But for example, Daniel. Does anyone remember how many times Daniel prayed a day? Three. 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 Okay. And then some of the psalmists, how many times did, like David, how many times did he pray a day? Seven. Smart crowd. Yeah. Seven. So Daniel prayed three times a day. The psalmist said that they prayed seven times a day. Now, where does this all come from? Well, this comes from the temple system. So obviously back in the early days, you had the tabernacle, excuse me, you had the tabernacle of Moses. You all remember that? Okay, hopefully not too many of you remember it because you, you don't look that old. So you have the tabernacle of Moses. And then eventually that was uh, made into the, the, the temple of Solomon when that came to its, its conclusion. I guess the thing was old and tired. Time to build a new temple. They built the temple of Solomon. And, uh, and then so at certain times of the day, so say like at nine o'clock in the morning, you had uh, the, the, the morning incense, etc. went up. Then at uh, 12 o'clock, the animal was attached to the altar. Then at three o'clock, the animal was sacrificed on the altar. So where Jesus was handed over to, uh, to be crucified at nine, he was then attached to the cross at 12, and then he was crucified at three. Okay, this should already start waking you up. This should already be ticking some alarm bells here, like, hang on a second. There's something that was going on in the Old Testament 
that Jesus then fulfilled it. And then there's something, because if you read the book of Revelation, that's still going on right now in heaven. Hallelujah. And somehow we as Christians, we're not not linked into this. We're missing out on this timetable, which heaven seems to be following. Which time, which time zone heaven's in? I really can't say. I'm sure someone's going to say Israel. Okay, well, if that's the case, it's only an hour out from us, so it's not too bad. But anyway, there is, there is, a, there is a time. And so this whole thing of praying the hours and, and the whole tradition of praying seven times a day, which came from the Psalms, and there's this lovely old English saying, which says, because you have these things where they gave them Latin names. So you had Matins, Lords, Prime, sext uh, there should be another one there uh, prime sex non vespers and compline and there's this old saying that said at matins jesus was bound at prime reviled condemned to death at terse nailed to the cross at sext at known his blessed side they pierced they take him down at vespers in the grave at compline lay who henceforth bids his church these sevenfold hours alway wow. yeah and that's that's something that we've lost and it's something that I want to come back to. And I've, I've, been, I've been walking in this kind of tradition now for a few years. And let me tell you something. As a crazy charismatic, I can't live without this anymore. It's linked me into something that is beyond myself. It's linked me into the worldwide church because I'm joining with the prayers of all the saints around the world that use these kind of books. Now, there's a whole different host of them here. So this one's called the Divine Worship. This will uh, set you back 50 pounds. Ooh, that's expensive. Um, then there's this one. This one's kind of like full of daily readings and sort of like lighter prayers. That cost you £60. Um, this, is, uh, this is the Catholic Liturgy of the Hours. It's a four-volume set. Okay. Now, okay. Now, some people might go, why, why, are, you, why are you praying their, their, their thing? Because like, they believe in salvation by works, right? Actually, the theology in these prayer books is amazing. They are, they, man, it's, it's all about justification by faith in here. So whatever it is that you think you know about them, it's clearly wrong because these, these prayer books, the theology that they come out with is beautiful. The prayers. And, and these prayers, these are, not, these are not the prayers of man. Okay, 90% of what you're praying here is scripture. It's just scripture. And it's the Psalms. Where could you go wrong with that, right? Um, this is the common book of prayer. This is like a 25 pound edition. Now, why am I doing this? Because I'm just showing you that you can, you know, oh, I've got a bit of uh, stuff on this one. This is the 1662 Book of Comprehension, the original. Um, not that this is the original. And look at that. Isn't that beautiful? 24 pound off Amazon. I've just spent 130 pound on the new prayer book, um, but it's a work of art. I'm not allowed it till Christmas time. Um, but some people might go why would you spend so much money on on a prayer book it's because for me this stuff is an investment into my spiritual life with God and this is and because I'm connecting with the wider church as well now I appreciate not everybody here you're thinking culturally this doesn't I don't relate to this culturally this is not my thing that's fine but what at least at the very least I want us to maybe come back to a, a a a compass point where we come back to a true north where we start doing what the ancient church did where we at least pray at certain hours of the day which the early early church did the reason why the early church did it is because in the book of acts it said that they met like um, who was the guy um silver and gold of i none but in the name of jesus get up and walk okay they came at the temple i think it was the ninth hour or something it says at the hour to pray um, then there's another time where Paul is looking for a place to pray and he meets with these women and he meets Lydia there. 
who sells purple and scarlet cloth, well they met at a certain time of day and that's again traditionally when the Jews came together to pray at certain times. And when they prayed, remember this is the Apostle Paul, crazy charismatic who speaks in tongues more than any of you lot as he says in Romans uh, or Corinthians, okay, he is meeting with other Jewish believers as well and, and they are literally reading Psalms. Because the Psalms is liturgy. The Psalms are prayers. The Psalms are the very prayers of God himself. As men and women, well men were moved to write in holy writ. They wrote down literally what Christ was going through. So when you're, when you're praying the Psalms, you're praying the very prayers of Christ himself. Christ when he became sin on the cross. Christ when he was in hell. Uh, Christ when he was going through terrible torture. Christ when he was rejoicing. Christ when he's king and he's ruling the nation in the millennial reign it's all there in the psalms hallelujah and if you sing the psalms they're even better because you're supposed to sing them you're not supposed to just read them they're not supposed to be a part of your daily bible reading I'll just read psalm 2 now because it's in my daily bible reading you're supposed to pray the psalms that's what they are they're hymns and they're songs and they're prayers to the almighty god hallelujah and guess what when you read in revelation 5 and 8 etc that the angels are quoting the same scriptures in heaven and if it's good enough for angels to quote the Psalms, if it's good enough for angels to do this, well, why on earth are we not doing it? Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. This prayer book, uh, this is a, a short Benedictine breviary. Uh, and so this, this is like all these books all combined into one. This is good. This will cost you about £35. Um, but this, this is a really, really nice book to encourage us to pray. And then if you're on a budget... You got this little common book of prayer for $7.99 off Amazon. And if you're really on a budget, you get an app for it on your phone for, ab oops, for absolutely free. Hallelujah. I'll finish in a minute. I want to end with, because we are, we are in important times. And as I showed you yesterday, uh, this image here, this this building is, is, is really the vision of where we're going, which we built over there on that side of the field. We've put in the planning or the pre-planning now. But the purpose of this building is not to be a nice, cool church building. It is to be a house of prayer. Now, to, to run a 24-7 house of prayer, is a, you need a lot of people and it's a lot of work. But what we can do is we can at least be praying those hours. And so I want this to be a place where it's a house of prayer. So we do all the cool stuff, the charismatic stuff. But also we're going to do the liturgical stuff at 9, at 12, at 3, at 6 and things like that. And then it's also like a, like a uh, following in the, in, the, in the vein of monasteries. It will be an education center. It will be a place where we make stuff as well. Because uh, monks, they do things. They like make honey and I know they make beer um, and stuff like that. Maybe we should make some beer. I don't know. Um, Yes, amen, hallelujah. I'm on board. Yes, he's on board. Anyone else? Any more takers? Any more takers? Yeah, a couple. Yeah, look at that. I've never seen, I've never seen Christians respond so quickly. This is great. Hallelujah. Uh, so we want, it, we want to sort of build this modern day monastic uh, community. And, and there's also a residential part of it as well. So people can come and stay. And as they stay, they can then learn how to do this and bring it, make it a part of their life. But also so they can go out into the field and actually do some work. Because a part of, of the rhythm of life uh, that monks would teach is that you've got to work as well. And you work the land and you pray for the land and you heal the land, etc. Other kinds of prayers that you can do is breathing prayers. So uh, you'll breathe, right? That's good. 
Okay, so breathing prayers are simple prayers. So this is a famous one. While you breathe in, you say, uh, uh, Lord Jesus, Son of God, and as you breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, for those charismatics that don't think they're sinners, although if I asked your wives, I'm sure they'd have something else to say about it, you can just drop off the sinner. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen. Little things like that. I remember for years I prayed for this girl to, to see her get saved. This is when I was working at that monastery. I carried this on for a long time. As, as I was breathing in, I would pray for her. And as I breathed out, I would pray for her. And she got saved, praise God. Because I just prayed over and over and over and over and over again. Hallelujah. And I want to just end with this last point. As we're moving into really important days and very difficult days. And this is not to make you frightened, but this is actually to give you a sense of joy. And I've said this a few times, but in 1857, uh, in New York, there was a lot of people that were unemployed. The banks weren't doing well. I think the rail industry had kind of gone to the end of the road, as it were. And, uh, and so the, the, the finances were drying up. And, and so this guy called Jeremiah Lanfear, he, he basically decided to do something because a lot of the churches were closing down because people couldn't afford to pay for the pastors, etc. And so they were all closing down. Okay, we've got a similar situation now. I mean, the Church of England's around here are, are, in, are you know, in really bad shape. There's so many of them don't have pastors now. There's just, in fact, we're in Fairham. I don't think any, any of those churches actually have a proper vicar anymore. You know, they're still waiting. There's like four or five churches don't have them. Uh, we've got a church right next to us in Titchfield. They don't have a vicar anymore. You know, there's one or two that are leading a wider area further out, but, but it's, it's not good. So we're in a similar situation now. Things in the economy are getting worse. And so what he did is he sent out some flyers. This was in New York. And he sent out some flyers. Uh, and he said, I'm going to start a prayer meeting on the 23rd of September. We're just going to get together at lunchtime. We're just going to get together and pray for the, for the state of, of our nation and stuff. And uh, I think when he first started, uh, yeah, uh, about 10 people turned up. Then the next week, 20. And then the next week, 40. And it kind of petered out by that. And uh, Jeremiah, this Jeremiah Lamphere, he knew that this wasn't going to cut. So he, he thought, we need to do this like every day. So he started doing it on a, uh, every day. Still not many numbers. Until October 14th, the stock market collapsed. The banks went down the drain. And I tell you what, the prayer rooms in New York, well, there weren't prayer rooms, but any room that could be filled in New York was filled. It was so prevalent, this prayer movement, that you couldn't find at lunchtime anywhere to book because every room, every cafe, every theater was rammed to the nines with saints that wanted to pray. And then that's then it was in the papers and it spread to California and all these other states. And then suddenly a move of God hit America that just took it by storm. I mean, you should look into it. The, the, the miracles, the things that God did at that time was astounding. Why? Because the church prayed if we don't pray we all love to see revival i remember uh, one of our church leaders here he said he, he was having a prayer for revival night he said hey uh thursday night uh we're having a prayer for revival he said who wants to see revival and everyone puts their hands up he said uh so who's coming to the prayer for revival three people put their hand up and then that's the reality until the church comes to the place where she is fervently like jesus we need you to we need you to move in this land because if you don't lord god we are desperate we are so desperate we need you to move in this land we need you to wake up your church your apostate church lord we need you to come and do something we need you to come and do a move a fresh move of your spirit in this church we pray in jesus name we pray lord you'll move in 
in this nation. We pray, Lord God, you change our hearts. We pray that the word will come back again. We pray your church will be a praying church. We pray, Jesus, that you will have the lordship, that you will be king and that you will be glorified and the church will not be woke, but she will be awake in Jesus' name. When we come back to that and the corporate bride of Christ is praying and interceding like that, mark my words, we are going to see God move over this nation. And I, unfortunately, patterns have to keep repeating. And I do believe that things are going to get very bad over the next couple of years, like really bad. But that will be the time when the church will pray. And God wants to encourage us, as he's always said to me these words, it will be the worst of times, but it will be the best of times. It will be difficult. It will be hard for the things of the world. But if his church will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, God will heal here, sorry, from heaven and he will heal our land. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.